0: You're listening to Carbon Removal Newsroom, a weekly show about current events in the world of carbon removal, from technology and innovation to policymaking and job
1: growth. Brought to you by Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. Texas, Wyoming, Iceland. These are a few of the locales that followers of the direct air capture industry have become accustomed to hearing about. Today we will hear about another area that could join the list of regions soon to become a hub for DAC, the Great Rift Valley in Kenya. The valley formed as a result of three tectonic plates meeting in one place. This phenomenon has created unique geology, which some entrepreneurs feel could be an ideal place to capture and store CO2 underground. Just an hour away in Nairobi, the team at Octavia Carbon is building commercial-scale DAC machines and is working on deploying their technology with plans to be- begin storing CO2 underground in 2024. They are also leveraging advantageous local renewable energy, geology, and a wealth of talent in Kenya to attract global ta- customers. So today we'll be talking to with Octavia CEO Martin Fremuller about why Kenya is right for DAC what they're working on now and why the price of DAC, of a DAC credit in Kenya will differ from one in the US. So obviously let's just start with your big announcement. So tell us all about that and how long that took to come together.
0: Yeah, no, thanks. And it's an absolute pleasure to be on. Um, really my journey to CEDA very much started with Common Removal Newsroom. So always great to go full circle. And the big announcement is that um, we've just announced a big partnership with Puro alongside our storage partners at Seller, Um, and we're truly excited to likely become the first DAG company to get fully validated under the Puro.Earth geologically stored carbon standard next year um, when we bring online our pilot project, Project Hummingbird.
1: So how long was that deal in the making, and can you maybe walk us through some of the high-level steps on how you all got there? I mean, you're a very new company, and so you've made a huge amount of progress in a really quick amount of time.
0: Um, Honestly, the first step is reach out to Puro, and they'll take care of the rest. They are an absolutely amazing team of very friendly, most Finnish people, and they will get you over the finish line amazingly quickly. So... Um, for all the um work that's gone into it has been a relatively quick process. We really started with them three, four months ago, and um literally the entire team has been extremely supportive in getting us over the line. So big shout out to Antti and the folks at PuroDay.
1: So why don't we um take a step back now that you got told us about your big announcement, which is Fantastic, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about the origins of Octavia, um, and how you identified it as a place, Kenya as a place that would be would support so much DAC.
0: Yeah, of course, and uh, as you said, we are a quite young company, so we've been going at full speed for only about fifteen months. But our origins really date back to twenty twenty when um, James Wongini of TED Talk fame and I. Uh, at Dalberg, both independently landed on coal removal as a sector that could really drive massive job growth globally, but also in particular in Africa. As one region that could support it, and I then soon realised that Dak, especially, has a huge amount of potential, and that Kenya is mainly the world's best place to it for it, and that is really down to Kenya's um, energy geology and talent, as you said before. So I did the sensible thing and moved my life to start a company there, and now, again, just about 15 months later, uh, Octavius World's fifth largest stack company, there's about 34 of us, um, and we've also got a superstar storage partner in Seller Mineral Storage, who both are really close friends from our earliest hours, so that's been fantastic. Um, can you
1: put provide a little more detail around both the type of type of energy you all are using um, because it is pretty unique to Kenya and also why there's so much talent in the um, country I had a great conversation with one of your one of the people at um, your company in New York but I think you should describe what makes Kenya so unique from that perspective as well
0: hundred percent. So I think to start with, Kenya is just a fantastic place for renewables just across the stack. It has about like uh, 40% of its electricity grid as hydro and 40% as geothermal. Um, with wind and solar being more nascent, but also having amazing potential. Solar, like Kenya, is right on the equator, so you can have solar with very low seasonality and very high performance factors. And in northern Kenya, along the East African Rift Valley, you have some of the highest wind speeds in the world, meaning that it's really just the perfect place to build a green industry, especially one like that, that needs a good amount of electricity. Um, And in that, especially the geothermal, really helps you. And that's both because, well, the energy that... That needs doesn't have to be electricity, like you know the folks that frameworks have rightly shown. Um, and so, like if you look at places that have like abundant heat, uh, specifically, uh, Kenya has very abundant waste heat or geothermal heat to use directly, and it has almost the gigawatt of installed geothermal capacity, being the sixth largest um, geothermal power producer uh, in the world, and a lot of that actually like currently is being curtailed. Those wasted because Kenya hasn't managed to attract that depth of industrial off-takers for that electricity. And in that sense, about a thousand megawatt hours or so a day just are curtailed. And that itself would be enough to get back in Kenya to million-ton scale. Again, just to factor this. Just the waste geothermal the electricity today um, can get us to that scale if used alongside the geothermal heat and the waste heat that is abundantly available. so that's essentially what we're doing, where we're starting. And the great thing is that alongside all that, you also have um, great good benefits from doing the same, because by using that, we're essentially turning that waste into like revenue for the Kenyan power company, you are lowering the cost of that electricity for everyone else. And that just means that, you know, um, start a a cycle of industrialization, you make electricity more affordable for urban consumers, and you can... Uh, we subsidized extension of the grid to rural areas that wouldn't otherwise afford that economically. So that is really like the key core benefits that we have from that energy too. And there's a lot like on the energy half of this and sports the geology is all the great as you've mentioned. Um, but then the talent is the thing that really makes the difference. We plainly know that if we want to make clean tech cheap, we need global south talent. We need innovators we need people who you know like hands and brains who build this hardware and fix the machine if smoke comes out of it that happens very often and essentially like the point is that Kenya has a very well educated population um and one that is also like relatively cost effective uh, compared to some of the other places where we have a lot of that talent today and that really means that we can massively scale data okay, capture in Kenya and especially like even if it is going to be quite a manufacturing and infrastructure-heavy sector, that is really something that Kenya can absolutely excel at and that this talent can really make a massive difference for.
1: So, Martin, one thing I'm curious about, and we've kind of chatted about it, but, you know, within the U.S., there's definitely mixed feelings about DAC. Let's just put it like that. And many rural communities are not feeling confident particularly about pipelines and the like. And I'm wondering what the reception is within the Kenyan general population and rural communities to DAC facilities and pipelines or or if there's any reception yet because it's just too new for them to even know.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. And I think trust plainly just takes time and work to build. And I think one thing we can say is that um, the Kenyan government has absolutely clocked on to the massive potential of DAC for the country, and to give you a sense of what that looks like, um, Kenya's climate and Boy Doctor Al Mohammed is literally an advisor to Octavia. They really want to get their hands dirty on this one, and the Kenyan president is excited about DAC as is his wife, and they really like um, are dedicated to working with the industry on sort of like fit for purpose regulation, and they really are aware that um, while they might not be able to say, compete with countries like the US on subsidies, you can absolutely compete on speed and really working with the industry and being approachable. And they absolutely have been so far. That's really been very, very great. Crucially, your question was about, like, underground communities. And I think that's something that I think is really worth touching on it in some depth, basically. Because I think it's perhaps just too much to ask that people will welcome us with open arms, if we just like rock up there one time and, we're all outsiders and we don't have any connection in the community right Trust takes time to build i think if you think that you can sort of like get everyone to cheer for you and like roll out the red carpet if you just like come to the community once and like to sort of put some strange looking machines on a powerpoint slide um then yeah i think you're in for disappointment we really think that in this site around where we want to deploy this is going to take you know full-time staff who really like are part of that community and can drive that engagement continuously for a really long time uh, it's the like, community engagement really shouldn't be a one-off it should be like a continued thing and in some ways like there shouldn't be like the like community engagement sort of like supposes that the community is separate from your innocence and i don't think it should be and i think that is just something really important and we have like from the community engagement we've done, and a great shout out to seller here. who' really organized that. We've just tagged along really. Um, I think people really are receptive to the fact that a Kenyan company is developing this technology. the Kenyan company is taking the leadership and responsibility here. and I think mm-hmm. that is something that um, local communities are both really proud of, and that also like makes them see themselves in the people that they are talking to. And I think that is just something that is really important. And again, that that's true for, for Kenya. I think it's also true from elsewhere. I think if you sort of from the US East and West Coast, and you just walk up into in certain, like rural North Dakota, um, then yeah, you will be in a different context, and you should be aware of that. And I think it's really important that you build trust over time. And I think again that really Mm -hmm. needs people on the ground. It it needs people who actually worked in and really like um, tell their friends about this in a bar, right? That's that's ultimately what it takes.
1: So um, I'm wondering kind of about the economics too of a carbon removal credit for Kenya. As you mentioned, right, the cost of labor is probably lower in Kenya than it is in other parts of the world. Additionally, the cost of energy might be lower because it's waste. However, you don't have the same subsidies that are being provided within the U.S. at least. So when you, two, when you're, when you all are thinking about your costing mechanism, how does it compare to how they're thinking about it here in the U.S.?
0: Yeah, and that's such a great question. And I think it's it's a really important topic that we understandably think a lot about, because as you say, DAC, like, so DAC and Kenya can absolutely compete at you know, bringing this down the cost curve, but we cannot easily compete with just throwing the both subsidies at it, where there definitely seems to be a race going on between the US and Canada and UK and the Norway sort of all trying to one-up each other in this race. But I think it's really important to stress here that of course, you know. These early stage subsidies are good if they're sort of addressed towards incentivizing early stage innovation. And you could argue that all of that is an early stage player. I think part of the issue here is that the rhetoric is somewhat less around sort of early stage innovation, but really about sort of capturing, for sort of that slide, Monday, um, that emerging industry. And I think that just has some worrisome echoes with sort of clean tech boom 1.0 where we've seen that like a similar attempt to sort of capture that industry ultimately just ended up wasting a lot of taxpayer dollars. Like, you know, the Cylindra type example is often mentioned where, you know, you know, the $500 million that the US government threw at that company ultimately could not save it from not like building where the fundamentals are right. And if we are talking about hardware, right, this is a lot of, you know, manufacturing. It is a lot of infrastructure and it's understandable that people want to capture these jobs. But I think it's also like who that... It might be, you know, climate optimal for countries to think about what their competitive advantage areas. And for a would be like, yes, it might not necessarily be in those things, especially was, uh, those manufacturing and infrastructure sectors. Especially um, in something as location independent as, as carbon removal, where you know other countries might just have much much better resources for it. And that's ultimately, like how we think about that in Kenya. Again, we have massive. Access geothermal electricity, waste heat, um, best in class storage sites, all in the same place. And at the same time, we also have a highly educated, cost effective talent pool. And so Kenya can and will bring down the cost. For, sorry, again, Kenya can and will 100% compete in it back down the cost curve. And that's something that we're already seeing. Um, and in some ways, it might well be inevitable. I think it's just a question of like, how quickly are we actually going this point is we're making this point all the time in the industry. We don't have time. We, we really don't have time. We really need to bring this down the cost curve right now, especially for something that is relatively cost prohibitive like that today. And so I think that's really something that, that we should think about and that maybe like I think should be like, um, talked about a bit more in the industry. And that's really the point here. Like, I think when we say bringing that down the cost curve, we should really focus on unsubsidized costs because nobody's under the illusion that at 10 billion 20 year scale, the US government will spend, I don't know, $180 per ton of CO2 on that sector. The point is that we really have to think about like, um, where is it actually the cheapest? And I think like, really like we should look to like, especially sort of our sectors more catalytic buyers to really like teeth that out and sort of ask for the economic assessment to really understand what's going on here. So it what's like driving the assumptions that are sort of like in a certain set of numbers. And it's great that those subsidies that we are talking about can unlock DAC as a category for a different type of customer, right? Like a more cost-conscious type, for example, where you know there might be a genuine benefit from unlocking an artificially cheap credit for a certain type of consumer. It gets a wider set of people exposed to durable carbon removal, not just stack, but also you know, other forms of durable TR. And that is key, that is super important. Um, but we also shouldn't confuse it with making genuine progress in road on bringing this down also.
1: Yeah, (laughs) when you talk about the manufacturing uh, sector in the U.S., it's like a third rail of U.S. politics, right? I mean, it's a joke, but manufacturing always has to be thought about, and then you have all like the renewable energy, and now the solar panels coming from China, which have been cut off, and that causes all sorts of anxiety. So I like your vision, but I have a feeling it's not going to be quite accepted within the u s however, and ironnica,
0: am... if you can just make a point there very yeah. quickly because it is a really good point, but I would say that the sort of climate transition has enough manufacturing to go around already, basically right yeah, and there's genuinely a lot of things that you would probably want to do domestically, right like uh, I don't know the the solar like the, the electric heat pumps the electric cars, and so on like um and in some ways, like you know, if you want you know people getting their hands dirty, that's great. Like you should go for it. But frankly, we're like the U.S. is already busy enough, like ripping out like fossil fuel infrastructure from 100 million U.S. households. Um, and frankly, that talent pool is also shrinking. The number of electricians, the number of like welders and so on, it's going down every year. And so like I think if you don't want to sort of throw fuel on the fire of like just out competing that labor pool and just making it more more costly for everyone. In that transition, I think again thinking around focusing on your competitive strengths, and some of that could still be manufacturing. Right, it could be a sort of really high end, like manufacturing of air contactors for DAC, for example, um, and that could be like a whole bunch of great livelihoods. But if you're looking at like um, you know building a bunch of steel boxes and like deploying them in great like locations, um, other countries might have to comparative advantage, and I think it is something where that again. In the context of US trade politics, you might not want to like this to happen in places that let's put it mildly you don't agree with. Um, but there is plenty of places in the world that are like friendly to the US, very much so. In Kenya is 100 percent a place like that, That's a very close cultural affinity with the US. And that could really like be a mutually beneficial relationship. So yeah, that Um
1: I actually completely agree with you. I just think it's yeah. I just find it amusing sometimes the U.S.'s approach to some of this stuff. Um, I actually want to ask you a question about the type of support you would like to see brought to Kenya monetarily or other to help scale the industry. I mean, you are kind of, at least as far as I'm aware, like the loan company out of Kenya doing this right now. And so curious how you imagine the it's scaling both across Kenya and across the global south generally and what needs to be done to do that
0: um yeah so um seller importantly important to mention seller uh, and us we are somewhat like the lone voices in the, in the wilderness if you like being like I think the first that is far you only sizable that like they capture company and storage company in the global south um and yeah, we do think that has to change because a lot of the narrative that, that I've just given you is true across the global south, not just for us, not just for Kenya. Um and I think the support that that we need to see there, I think for one, it's already already important to acknowledge that there is a lot of custom appetite for these credits from the global south. I think there's a lot of people, even like um and customers who might not have the full sophistication of their front fund. Um that you know care about getting a good story here basically because in the, at the end of the day like um that is in many ways what you pay for right like you pay for um not just well, of course the climate benefits but also like alongside that and that's just like the way that that spending has been categorized for a long time like you care about reputational benefits of it you care about um the you know um retention benefits that that might have on your staff and so on you care about the story that's the end of the uh, end of it and the point is that um there is a lot of customers who are really willing to demand the demand is absolutely there and i think in some ways that should also unlock other sources of capital right because really like if we're being like you know logical about this then you know VC capital that capital other types of capital should follow that demand really but that is something where we think that more needs to happen it is frankly hard to find seed stage investment from um, clean tech investors who are based in the global north, in say the US and Europe and so on. Even for industries like the direct aid capture, that frankly have a quite close link to you know, like certain resources that some countries either have or have not. And Kenya is one of those that have. And I think that's really something that is worth being thought about more. And so if we really think about sort of um, other catalytic forms of capital like grants and so on um, there might be opportunities here to really like look at places where you can really unlock a lot of opportunity um, locally you know in development impact terms but also like commercially um through some relatively small investments and then really like bringing in partners in the sort of venture capital side and the debt investment side and the product financing side and then really basically bundling that together, de-risking it for people. And I think in some ways it just needs like examples of it working. And we really hope to provide that to like really unlock the wider wave of clean tech innovation in Kenya and the global South. But yeah, we hope to be an example of that. Um, But you really want to sort of bring a few folks along basically. And I think um, to the extent that DOE, for example, is already looking for partnerships abroad and like developing that health internationally, we think, there is absolutely like the right steps being taken here. And um, I think really like those partnerships can then sort of anchor on some of these initiatives, but more is definitely needed. And I think it really is key to stress that, you know, we don't have the time to waste on this basically. And I think if there's huge efficiencies to be unlocked from deploying internationally, that's exactly what we should look to do as well.
1: So uh, I'm gonna ask you maybe A tough question and curious what you, how you think about it. I think a lot of people within the DAC industry, CDR generally, have very mixed feelings about oil and gas, right? In some ways, they have a depth of expertise that's needed for pieces of storage around DAC, pipeline management, things like that. Flip side is they're obviously oil and gas and maybe the, and definitely the creator of many of the issues you're trying to solve. So do you think working with them is inevitable? Or do you think, particularly in a country with, like Kenya, you may not have to? Mm. Uh,
0: and that last point you made might give me a bit more, more liberty here to, to speak. So I would say that I do not think that working with oil and gas is inevitable. And I think in some ways there's a sense of inevitability around this in the U.S. specifically um, that I think is potentially slightly misconceived people used to say that it is really inevitable that we'll have to work with oil and gas in offshore wind, Right, you want to build anything offshore, like really that needs oil and gas, right? Uh, or like say with solar, like interestingly, like you want to build like, you know, large scale infrastructure, just look to oil and gas, they'll, they'll make it work for you. Point is, if you look at where like oil and gas is in like solar and wind today, they are nowhere near the top 100 players in that industry um some of the talent moved and yes you will need some of the talent to sort of like jump get and really like help build out this with the expertise that they are questioning have. but the point is that we should not like concede a certain ability there which just to be clear does not mean that oil and gas does not have a role um I think it's just really important to stress that um we should be careful around um sort of the credo of common mobile that sort of like you know, carbon removal is not a replacement to decarbonization. The thing that we say, like in, like at the start of every, this is DDR episode, right? It's important, right? But the point is, if we work with people who evidently are not aligned to 1.5 degree target and frankly, like, no oil and gas company is, then that really risks undermining our credibility as an industry. And that is something that I guess yeah we do worry about basically, and that also like really risks undercutting sort of like you know our ability to work in sort of communities and so on, and and really like also just to you know, to really make this have a wide audience right. I think if you want you know municipalities and like county governments and states to buy from you, um, you have to be able to really make a compelling case for like the climate impact of what you're doing. But again, if that is very closely linked to an industry in oil and gas that, um, has a very negative reputation around, you know, anything called carbon capture something, um, that, that really risks sort of like derailing our progress. And, you know, I think I don't doubt that there's like good people working this in oil and gas. And again, the slight theory we have is that like, you know, those people will do that, but they might not necessarily do that with oil and gas in the long run. Because, you know, the charitable version of putting this is that this is really an innovative dilemma, right? And there is a certain neatness for oil and gas for getting carbon management right and sort of putting that under the same umbrella. But, frankly, it is a very different type of thesis to build that, and especially modular deck, um, which, again, we, and that's our bias view, see as having a lot of advantages here. And, so yeah, I think it's something that, that we should sort of be sort of clear-eyed about, and that... We, you know, I think we wouldn't go as far as saying it's a categorical, no. Um, and we understand that, like, some companies, especially folks who want to store CO2 in the U.S., face some heart rate of it. But at the same time, I think it's worth listening to our critics on this one. And if that is going to go mainstream, um, then we think that it is a commercially sound decision to distance ourselves from that industry. That's sort of what, I, what I'm thinking there.
1: Well, I thank you for your uh, candid response about it because it is a tough subject for sure. And my final question for you is it feels like DAC is having an amazing moment just in the last few weeks, right? You have Avnos, $80 million million funding, your great announcement about your partnership between Puro and Sela. So where... Like, if you were to put on your fortune teller hat in five years, where do you imagine DAC will be and what what would be the perfect perfect scenario by 2030, let's say, which is a little over five years away?
0: Mm. Well, my perfect scenario is that it will be in Kenya in a major, major way. Um, and that, that is, in fact, what people will think of when they hear the word DAC. But I do see that there's a lot of progress we can drive over the next seven-ish years, and those seven years really matter. They matter especially for DAC, because the whole promise of DAC really is anchored around the idea that you know, an engineered solution can come down the cost curve faster and other types of solution, and the ability to iterate like really like produces something special for DAC. And I would say the burden is on us to actually prove that to be true. And we at Octavia are certainly like trying very, very hard at this and seeing some initial success. So where do we want to be? We want to be at million on scale. That much is unquestionable. Potentially like it's or order of magnitude larger than that still. And from there, we think a lot is possible. Again, we think that, again, there is likely going to be a portfolio approach to this, but um, that has a very strong appeal for... A good segment of emissions that essentially take carbon out of that out of geological you know, reservoirs and put it into the atmosphere and i think for us the idea of reversing that flow and ultimately putting carbon back where it came from it's exactly still a it, it common industry um that is the target and it's something where we see that a lot well, to offer alongside you know um a portfolio of other approaches that all have their own advantages well
1: Martin, it's been lovely to have you on the show and I am very excited to watch your progress. Uh, you know, it's hard to be the leader in on your, and so wishing you the best of growing this industry in Kenya and really showcasing every all the talents that the country has so the rest of the world can learn to appreciate it. So thank you so much and look forward to hearing more announcements as they come out from you all.
0: Thank you, it's been an absolute pleasure, and if we can just very quickly plug that there's a big African climate summit coming up in Nairobi in early September. That a lot of direct aid capture and CDR stakeholders will be at, and if you sort of like the things that you just heard, then uh, I can highly recommend that you come along and there'll be a lot of uh, excitement and enthusiasm some big announcements, including from us um, coming up at that summit and. We are really looking forward to showcasing Kenya as a place, if not the place, to do common mobile and like and that. Uh,
1: I have to ask, what's the weather like at that time of year in Nairobi?
0: Beautiful, as every day of the year. Um, being on the equator, but at two thousand meters altitude, gives you the perfect bit of perfect every day. <laughs>
1: Well, if you ever, if your DAC doesn't succeed, you definitely could be a Kenyan influencer and get people down there. So <laughs> well,
0: I'm excited for people to meet the real influences, which frankly aren't me, but the fantastic Kenyan team that we have. And if you profile, you'll see them and we look forward to having you.
1: Great. Take care, Martin. Thanks so much for listening to Carbon Removal
0: Newsroom.